0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air, I'm Sarah Fensky. The famed dancer and choreographer Katherine Dunham brought movement and themes from the African diaspora, the Caribbean, South America, and Africa itself into American dance. The film Carnival of Rhythm from 1941 is just one example. <laughs> The arts complex that carries Dunham's name is not based in Chicago, where Dunham was born, or in New York, where she made her name and where she later died. Instead, the Catherine Dunham Centers for the Arts and Humanities is housed in East St. Louis, and it's fighting a tough battle to preserve her legacy and the artifacts that she gathered in a city with more than its share of struggles. And joining me today to talk about that very important work is Laverne Backstrom. She is the president of the board for the Katherine Dunham Centers for Arts and Humanities. Laverne, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So help ground us in a little bit of history here. How did the Katherine Dunham Centers end up in East St. Louis?
1: Uh, Miss Dunham was invited by uh, Sergeant Earl Shriver to come to East St. Louis uh, when Southern Illinois University was in East St. Louis. She was invited to come here and teach anthropology at Southern Illinois University, and that's how she came to the area and later formed the Performing Arts Training Center. That was in uh, 1967. Uh, and opened uh, her first dance seminar was in 1984. The children's workshop started in um, a few years prior to that, uh, like in the 70s, 71, 72. Um, And she set up shop um, at the old Broadway building downtown on uh, 4th and uh, Broadway, uh, where she occupied one of the floors there and taught dance and movement uh, there. Hmm.
0: So, did you know this was a woman who obviously traveled the whole world over, very sophisticated, had this life in New York City? Did she feel a particular affinity for East St. Louis?
1: Yes, uh, she did. Uh, it's been said in her publications and in talking to people that knew uh, and interacted with Miss Dunham. Uh, that the people of East St. Louis reminded her of the people of Haiti uh, because of the economic depression in uh, in the area. Um, the Stunum's belief was that because you were poor, did not uh, negate the fact that you could enjoy uh, culture and dance, music, drama, spoken word, uh, what have you, and so. She wanted to make these things available for people no matter what their economic background was. Hmm.
0: Now, I understand that she personally purchased a group of neighboring houses in East St. Louis in 1975. One of those buildings today um, is the Katherine Dunham Museum. What else is on that campus? How many of those buildings are still part of, of the, um, the centers?
1: Actually, we have... Uh, Three components, we have the museum itself, which is a uh, two-story Tudor building made of Roman brick, uh, light beige brick. It's a uh, two-story mansion that uh, was occupied by the Joyce uh, family in East St. Louis. Then the second component is the uh, carriage house uh, in the rear of the museum. Which uh, was in Vietnam by the carriage house <laughs> <laughs> where uh, the horses uh, would be kept. And uh, in 1984, she received a grant from CBS and then renovated that space into the children's workshop. And finally, on the grounds is about uh, three acres. Uh, there is an African village which has six replica uh, African huts with the thatched roofs and the open uh, open sides, uh, stage, outdoor stage. So those three things comprise the uh, Catherine Dunham Centers at this point.
0: Hmm. That sounds like something that, um, you know, maybe not as many St. Louisans know about as they should. It sounds like that's, there's a lot to see there on site.
1: Absolutely. Unfortunately, we we are a well-kept secret, and we're trying to do our best to uh, rectify that misfortune, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I know the year 2020, um, it's been a tough year for so many people. It started out in a really positive way for your organization, and that's with the announcement that the Dunham Centers would be getting a $250,000 grant from the state of Illinois. How did you learn that you were being awarded that money?
1: Well, when uh, Senator Christopher Belt and Representative Latoya Greenwood were elected to their respective offices, he as the senator and she as the representative for the 114th and he as the uh, senator for the 57th, uh, one of the promises that uh, they made uh, was to uh, give some money to help solidify and increase the arts in the city of East St. Louis. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what they both did. Um, And it's because of their efforts uh, that we were able to um, be awarded that money. And actually, I'm happy to report, day before yesterday, lo and behold, the check showed up in the mail.
0: (laughs) That is the best feeling. You must have just been thrilled to have that in your hands. Oh, God, yes.
1: <laughs> yes, ma'am. Absolutely.
0: Well, and that kind of leads us right into then the, the flip side of this positive news in 2020, which is, you know, you really want to make sure you get that check in hand these days because things did take a, a rather bad turn. Not long after you were awarded that grant, it became March. And even beyond the coronavirus, uh, that was just a really tough month for you. What happened in March to the Katherine Dunham Centers?
1: We had some issues. Uh, first, we thought we were having issues with the furnace. Uh, we came in on a Saturday, the second Saturday in March, which is our regular board meeting, and the music room and the conference room in the building were flooded with uh, two or three feet of water. Oh no! And so we uh, we thought we had the situation rectified. We had some repair done on the furnace. Uh, some Uh, Pipes were replaced, Uh, but lo and behold, on the 31st of March, we came uh, back to see how things had progressed from that flooding, and it had flooded again. And so we realized at that point that we had uh, additional issues, Uh, not only to the furnace, but there was some roofing issues. And we we have a slate roof, uh, Mm. and some of those uh, slates had shifted. Uh, with the rain and the thunderstorms that we had had during the month. And so we had a second flooding. So right now we're in the process of uh, preparing ourselves to send out requests for proposals for uh, some company who is expertise in um, old renovation of old buildings mm. because the building is a historic uh, monument. It was cited in 1991 by St. Clair County. And so we need someone who has expertise in that area who can come in and give us uh, some recommendations and some ideas as to how we can replace the uh, conference room, um, the walls, the ceiling, the floor, and the music room. Mm -hmm. Thank God none of the artifacts got uh, damaged and we were able to pull all of those out of the music room and put them in other areas of the building. And so they're fine.
0: Well, that's good.
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely.
0: But so it sounds like the building's going to need some work. Uh, You don't know yet how much it's going to cost, but I imagine this isn't going to be cheap.
1: No, it's not going to be cheap. And while we had other plans, for that uh 250,000 dollars uh mainly the soffit and the fascia of the building itself i mean this building is built uh, 1906 as nearly as we can tell uh and we don't think that the uh the guttering and the soffit and fascia of the building have ever been uh repaired or replaced and so of course it, it's in um, it's it's in need of uh a lot of repair so we're gonna be as frugal as we possibly can. Uh, we wanted to do some uh, upgrade to the African village in terms of the outside lighting and sound. Uh, we may have to do some fundraising at this point to get uh, that village uh, up to par. Yeah.
2: Um, we
1: think we're gonna. Yeah. We think we're gonna have enough. To put the uh, the two rooms that were flooded, we think we'll be able to put those back, and we'll still be able to replace the soffit and the fascia of the building.
0: Okay, so you've got some big uh, needs as far as the physical space coming up, mm-hmm. and and as you mentioned, this was all happening in late March. That's right when the coronavirus was shutting down the country. How has that impacted the work that that you're doing and, and people being able to visit and and enjoy this uh, this center? Oh. Well, needless to say,
1: uh, it it cut it right smack dab off. <laughs> no, no one could could come. Uh, in years gone by, we have had students uh, from the high schools around the area, from the colleges, that would come and do community service projects at the museum. Uh, everything from yard work to cleaning inside uh to doing filing uh and things of that nature they were not able to come uh we had kids who would have been in their summer programs who would have come to the museum for demonstrations and classes and we weren't able to do any of that we would normally have had um the uh, the uh seminar the annual dance seminar uh, which would have been uh, the last week in July. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, so a whole lot of things you had to just
0: take off the agenda.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, Absolutely. That's, that's frustrating to hear. But now you are again, um, are, are you open to the public at this point, even if you're not doing things like seminars that, that could draw a lot of people?
1: Well, actually, the inside of the building is not ready to receive visitors, mm. but we were just recently, uh, we hosted uh, a repast. One of the dancers, former dancers, well, she's still a dancer, uh, lost her grandfather. And because of COVID and because of the restrictions of how many people can be inside of any one place and still uh, be socially distant. Uh, she asked if she could have the uh, memorial service and repast at, in the African village, hmm. and the board agreed. And so that was a very uh, refreshing event. Uh, it kind of gave us a glimmer of hope. Uh, We had about 65 or 70 people in attendance, and everybody seemed to really have a great time, although uh, it was a sad occasion. Mm -hmm. So we're getting ready now to gear up for some virtual classes uh, for the fall. Uh, We still are not able to open up like we would like to because uh, these crazy people just refuse to believe that they need to stay at home, wear their masks and stay socially distant from each other so the numbers are rising and so that means that we have to continue to back up and instead of what we thought would be opening up now mm-hmm. we're not able to do that because the numbers are back uh, on the rise again
0: We're talking to Laverne Backstrom. She's the president of the board for the Catherine Dunham Centers for Arts and Humanities, um, a hidden treasure there in East St. Louis that is hoping not to be such a hidden secret anymore. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Laverne. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. We're talking to Laverne Backstrom, president of the board for the Catherine Dunham Centers for Arts and Humanities. And Catherine Dunham, of course, had such a huge impact on dance in America. She's really a seminal figure for anyone who studies it or practices it. And in addition to the Dunham Centers in East St. Louis, there's a treasure trove of materials about her available online through the Library of Congress. And that includes interview clips from a 2002 conversation with Dunham herself. One of the clips that struck us has to do with the Shango dance that she developed. It's her interpretation. Of a voodoo sacrificial ceremony to an African god. Let's listen to Dunham herself explain the inspiration behind the stance.
2: Shango is one of the gods from Africa that has been maintained through the Caribbean, through the entire African diaspora. Shango is very strong, a god that one associated with an iron will. And a determination that uh, they could bring things about, bring them to happen for good or for bad, if if needed. And uh, I'd say Shango was probably the strongest of the African gods, and uh, he was worshipped all through the Caribbean and South America, and every place that I went, a Shango ceremony was was bound to be an important one. You know, you might have one to Agwe or Ogun or whatever, and they were, they were vivid, colorful, and so forth. But Shango, you knew there would be something that would be extraordinary, that would be very strong and very powerful. And uh, the, our Shango was a combination of a boy possessed, if you saw this on stage, a boy possessed by uh, Dambala, who was the serpent god, and who was my lead god. Uh, the boy was possessed of Dambala, but Shango was the god who came in and really, really took over the, the whole ceremony.
0: And that was the great Catherine Dunham in her own words. That's from a 2002 interview with sound from a 2009 performance of her Shango dance. And uh, Dunham died in 2006. Now, Laverne, uh, Catherine Dunham was a teacher and a scholar in addition to a dancer and choreographer. She was also an advocate for racial justice. What made her such an effective leader on so many different fronts?
1: Well, I think first of all, she uh, prepared herself herself. Uh, study-wise, she attended uh, the University of Chicago where she received a bachelor, master's, and a doctorate degree uh, in anthropology. Uh, Because of her studies there, she received a a Rosenwald Fellowship and was able to go to uh, the Caribbean and study the dances of of the people. But I think more so than being prepared intellectually, she's a very smart, um, cutting-edge woman who was way ahead of her time and who dared to speak out and speak about issues that one just did not dare talk about uh, during the time that, that she was um, performing and the time that she started her dance troupe in 1934, right up through uh, the dancing uh, through 54 and into the early 60s. So she was a uh, a renaissance woman, if you will, hmm. and she she... Received the nickname uh, the, the Madam of Dance. Uh, she that was her that was her title. She was um, very well respected uh, in in her own right mm-hmm. uh, as an individual, as an intellectual, as a teacher, a lecturer, anthropologist, and a dancer.
0: I want want to go back a few decades in time. That's when you yourself moved to East St. Louis. I understand you were a young teen in 1960 when you moved in. When did you become aware of of Catherine Dunham's presence in town?
1: Well, I, I think I knew upon arrival that there was this woman down on 10th Street who had this museum, I, I of course had just arrived in East St. Louis from school in Mississippi and I, I was not aware of, you know, dance and, and drumming and percussion. I mean, I didn't have a clue about any of that kind of stuff. Um, so I was a high school sophomore and I guess my, my, uh, focus was on getting through high school and being in a new setting new people um so but i knew she was i knew she was there although i didn't get a chance to meet her and then i graduated and went off to college and came back and uh later on to teach school and uh uh heard more about what she was doing uh, with the children uh, on 10th in Pennsylvania.
0: And how did you end up um, becoming the president of the board of the centers?
1: Uh, Dr. Lena Weathers was president in 2005, and she wanted someone on the board who lived in the Olivet Park neighborhood where the museum is, Mm. And so Dr. Weathers and my mother were co-workers together at uh, Jefferson Elementary School, and so my mother, of course, had passed on, but Dr. Weathers knew I was still around, and so she called and asked if I would serve on the board. And uh, the rest is sort of like history.
0: <laughs> you've obviously kept uh, you've kept on this work. You know, so many people. I think dealing with with nonprofits, being on a board is so hard. You put in so much work, and and sometimes there's not always that clear payoff. What about Dunham's life and legacy has kept you wanting to stay involved with this and just put so much blood, sweat, and tears in, into this work of the centers?
1: Well, I had a mother whose mantra was uh, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, then you need to find yourself uh, trying to get that done. And if you're not going to do it, then you need to tell them right up front, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, But since I did make the commitment, uh, I felt like I needed to see it through. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I have gotten to a point where... I would like to see the centers be before I move on or move out. Um, So, yeah, I gave my word, and that's basically it in a a nutshell.
0: So Dunham, she pushed against discrimination so much throughout her life, and it kind of seems like a tough irony that so many black-led arts organizations, including the Dunham Centers, are so underfunded compared to their counterparts. Is that something you find yourself thinking about a lot?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you actually uh wake up in the middle of the night, I mean literally and, and and you're always trying to come up with an idea, a hook, or something that would propel you from this from this position where you are to a level where you have a steady income stream where you, you have a group of volunteers that are dedicated to what they're doing. Uh, you, you have the ability to hire a couple of staff people who help you to keep the grounds, keep the thank you letters going, do the fundraising, help like grants. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a 24 seven kind of uh uh, uh position for me to be in, and I, I always say you know things may fail but but not on my watch. <laughs>
0: Good for you. I mean, that's, uh, unfortunately, that attitude is so needed to, to keep a nonprofit going. And, and as you know, as we were discussing these black led arts, arts organizations that have an even harder time just reaping the windfalls that that maybe some bigger institutions do. I, I understand as part of your work, you're also in regular touch with Dunham's daughter who lives in France. Is she still involved? Or is, is anyone from Dunham's family still involved in helping guide the direction of, of the work you're doing?
1: Well, Marie-Christine herself, um, not so much the, the rest of her family. Uh, Ms. Dunham had one brother, Albert, who uh, deceased uh, years before she did. Uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Marie-Christine, uh, I speak with her a couple of times a week, uh, at least. Um, she's very interested in what's going on. And particularly how the technique, the Dunham technique, is being taught, and making sure that the technique is authentic, uh, and that the uh, the uh, uh, organization who uh, gives the uh, certification for Dunham uh, dancers, making sure that that um, Those items are uh, authentic and that it covers all
0: of Laverne, has that been an issue, that sometimes people are invoking Catherine Dunham's name or her legacy, but they aren't necessarily doing it correctly?
1: Absolutely, without a doubt. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. We just don't have the funds to hire uh, an attorney, you know, who could write them a letter and say, you know, you, you need to cease and desist because this is not right. That is not right. You have not gotten permission from the board or from the IDTC or from anybody to be doing what you're doing.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, and so you need to stop. And that's one of our big challenges. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, within uh, months to come, we'll be able to start to address that uh, more than we've been able to do in the past.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's that's something we will need to keep an eye on, and it sounds like that's something that's of, of great importance to Dunham's daughter.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, Martha Graham and Jose Limón, Bob Fosse, all of these people, who made their niche in the world of dance? Katherine Dunham did the same thing, and we want to be sure that Miss Dunham's technique is taught uh, and danced the way Miss Dunham intended for it to—not shaving it here and there and cutting corners, uh, but doing it exactly as Miss Dunham uh, uh, instructed uh, the. Uh, to do.
0: Hmm. So, in addition to preserving that legacy and, and keeping those words meaning what they should mean, um, as, as you mentioned earlier, a big part of this whole enterprise is the idea that the art should be available to everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic status. I know that's a big thing fueling the centers. And why is that such a passion for you personally? Well,
1: because I, I was a poor black girl, grew up in a very, very small town in Scuba, Mississippi, where I didn't have uh, opportunities to, uh, I mean, we didn't even have a television until mm. I was, you know seven or eight years old. I mean, I was born in 1947, but lots of folks had TVs, but we didn't. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, being born and raised as a black girl in a rural town in Mississippi, uh, to be able to have some small part to play in keeping uh, someone as great and as magnificent as Miss Dunham uh, in the forefront and making sure that her legacy um, goes on for future generations, it, it's, just, um, it's just so rewarding for me to have the opportunity to be able to do that.
0: Well, Laverne Backstrom, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing about this work. And I hope that, you know, when uh, this coronavirus crisis passes, that uh, many more St. Louisans will come out and see this for themselves and also support the work you're doing. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so
1: much, Sarah, for having me. I I have certainly appreciated it.
0: And Laverne, again, is the president of the board for the Catherine Dunham Centers for Arts and Humanities. It's a hidden gem in East St. Louis. One quick note, I hosted St. Louis on the Air for the very first time one year ago today. It's been a humbling year. You don't know all you don't know until you try to do it live on the air. It's also been a wonderfully educational year and in many ways a joyous one. I want to thank our terrific team of producers and our sound engineer for bearing with me as I tried to figure things out. And more than anything, I want to thank everyone who's joined us in conversation. It's been wonderful talking with you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU.